Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Sarah Memmi. Sarah is a behavioral scientist. She's an assistant professor of marketing at the College of Business at the University of Louisville. She's also a lifelong horse person, which makes her both a perfect fit for teaching at the University of Louisville's equine business program, and also a perfect fit for this podcast. In this conversation, we have been talking about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Last week, Sarah started us out with some definitions that were very helpful. She would say that a behavior is intrinsically motivated when the reinforcer is so tightly bundled with the action that it's reinforcing that you can't easily separate the two. The reward is in the doing. Extrinsic motivation occurs when the reinforcement is easily separable from the action itself. Sarah talked about the emotional value that's associated with reinforcement. An activity can acquire intrinsic reinforcement value through the pairing of the activity with the reinforcement. There are four qualities that are important to that process. We covered two of them in part one. The first was there's a unique link between the behavior and the extrinsic reinforcer. The second is repeated pairing between the behavior and the desired outcome. This is something that is very familiar to all of us who clicker train. I stopped just as Sarah was getting to the third factor. So that's where we'll pick up as we resume the conversation. But you create these associations um, and through you know, repeated, yeah. repeated pairing. So that re- repetition is, is important to that process, that transfer process. Um, the other, which I think gets a lot of these things we've been talking about along the way, is uh, the third is greater similarity or fit between that, that target behavior and the extrinsic reinforcer and the reward. So what might that mean? Well, let's say that, to use a riding example, let's say that the behavior of going out and riding and training your horse and working with your horse and that for some people might also lead to an extrinsic reinforcer reward of going to a show and winning a competition or achieving a particular score, that type of a, an outcome, right? And that's still an extrinsic reinforcement. There's nothing inherent about riding a horse. You know, A score or an award is separable from yes. actually riding and training, very much so. Um, but there is a certain amount of fit between riding and training and then taking that same horse to a competition or to somewhere and riding it there and then achieving a certain outcome. There's a, there's a certain coherence, right. To those, to those um, activities. Whereas if you were instead to think about riding your horse so often or training your horse to some, you know, training your horse, if that behavior earned you a ski vacation. Mm. There would be much less of a, a transfer. Riding your horse would, would be much less likely to become intrinsically rewarding. 
um, if it led to an outcome, a desired outcome that really had absolutely nothing to do with mm-hmm. riding a horse, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that fit is part of it. And, and it, it makes sense, right? You're, you're talking about you know, cognitive association. So having a close fit. Generally, money is considered a very separable extrinsic reinforcer. But if you think about, let's say, behavior like gambling, you're using money to bet you know, you're using money to bet money, to win money, really good fit. And a lot, Mm. and gambling is very intrinsically reinforcing for a lot of people. There's also Mm. a lot going on with reinforcement schedules. There's, there's more there than that, but there's still a really nice fit right between you. So much so that it it can become addictive. Addictively. yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So even when they're not actually winning anything, even when they're losing everything, they continue Mm. and they persist. Um, there's a very good fit between those, those behaviors. So okay. different teachers and different trainers and how they present, you know, present a reward. Is it, does it feel, does it feel appropriate to that behavior? Is it, is it, um, does it sort of seamlessly flow or does it seem like very disconnected? And, um, and if it, the more that it feels disconnected or, or not like not a good fit, the less likely it is to create that transfer of intrinsic motivation. Mm. So even thinking about doing things at the the right time. So like, I like pasta to eat. I also like toast. I clearly eat plenty of gluten. And (laughs) generally because I associate, you know, pasta mostly with dinner and toast mostly with breakfast and toast would taste better to me. It would be more intrinsically rewarding to eat at breakfast than at dinner and pasta would taste better to me at dinner than at breakfast, right? right. Um, because you have that, that association, that fit between that enjoyable activity and, and how you're receiving it um, and that the context in which you're, you're getting it. So that would be that, that fit question. Um, and then again, no surprise, the fourth, uh, no surprise at all to the trainers would be time proximity. So the time gap between mm. when you do the thing and when that intrinsic reinforcer happens and the closer, the better for that transfer that uh, of, of increasing intrinsic motivation. So if that extrinsic reward is more and more and more and more delayed, yeah. then you're going to get less and less and less of that sort of backwards transfer. So, you know, when we say that there's a point where we teach our horse a behavior and, and, you know, we've, ex- we've said there's a lot of, there's a deep reinforcement history. There's a point where we can use that behavior right. as a reinforcer for doing something else. Mm-hmm. Would we say that there has been a transfer for the horse from doing it for the carrot to just doing it now as a reinforcer for something else? So there seems to be like an intrinsic motivation now, or is that... Is that the proper way to read this? It's part of a chain. So if you built your chain well, you're chaining and you're putting in where appropriate. Remember, Alex, we had a discussion once about when your horse did something that you really liked, that you wouldn't give it just, you wouldn't just click and treat. You would bring him to the mat. And that would be like Christmas for the horse right. versus just get, getting a click and treat. Because the mat has a deep history of reinforcement behind it. We had, we had this discussion 
with Susan Friedman, and she gave you the example of you know, sitting in uh, that comfy chair at night, being able to go to, to that really comfy chair where all these lovely good things happen, that yes, that has greater significance than just getting a, clicking a treat out on the, in the horse's case, the edge of the circle, that you are, when you go into the center of the circle to the mat, you are going to a place that has a deep, deep history of reinforcement behind it. You're, you, the horse knows he's going to get clicked and reinforced. But is it possible that there has also been a mm. transfer from something that was extrinsic to something that is now more? And it's a spectrum, as we said. It doesn't mean that you're not reinforcing. Or what is it? Is it another way to look at it? I'm not going to make claims about what exactly has been studied on that, but it feels like it's meeting the criteria for saying: Is this behavior? more enjoyable is is the act of being on the mat has that become enjoyable to the horse and in itself in in itself yeah mm -hmm. yeah and and i mean you think about that you know the comfy chair at the end of the day i mean that's enjoyable right there's a lot of learning right there's a lot of learning history and reinforcement history that has made it so yeah, because it could be boring too. I mean, part of the question is a question of measurement, right? There's really two ways to measure intrinsic motivation. One is with people anyway. You can do self-report. You can just ask people. And they can lie. Much you enjoy this. And they can also lie. I mean, self-report has its own issues. Mm. But, mm. you know, so, there are certain sorts of circumstances where people will be motivated to lie. But unless they're motivated to lie or motivated to self-present a certain way, it, it you know, you, you, you can, you can work around that if you need to, mm. so you can be careful, but you can use self-report or mm. you can see, you know, you're looking at essentially uh, voluntary engagement in a behavior. Um, and that of course you can do with animals. So meaning when no, you know, when extrinsic reinforcers are not being offered. So you're not being either explicitly offered a um, positive reinforcer to engage, or you're not being compelled to engage, you know, to avoid a negative outcome. Do you, do you engage in that behavior? And maybe in a more subtle way, do you, do you um, <clears throat> see discretionary effort? Well, you know, you open the door to the uh, arena and they go straight to the mat. Like it's, you know, we, we talk about right. magnetizing right. it. Right. They go straight to the mat under certain contingencies. You're right. present. So they know that there is an opportunity for reinforcement because you're present. It's true. My horses have open access to the arena. If I happen to leave mats down and so they're just in the arena, I don't peek out and see them standing on the mats. Okay. I do peek out. I, mine are in the different setup. They would go to the mat even if I were not there, but it might just be that they're waiting for me to come in. And they know I'll be coming in in just a minute or two. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, I see that with Rob. And I have a wonderful video of him where I was setting up the runway lesson. And then I, I wanted to tape it. So I had the camera set up, up upstairs so I could film from above. And I had left the arena and the start of the video is there's Robin standing on the mat at the waiting for me and and when he heard me on the stairs, there's this lovely 
you know, mm -hmm. chortled because he knew that the game was about to begin. So yes, he was going to the mat, but I would argue that he's going to the mat under the contingency that he knows that I'm coming and right. that reinforcement is, is coming as well. But if, if there are mats just out and about in the environment and they have access to that environment 24-7, I don't see them standing on them, you know, preferentially standing where the mat is. But so you said the way to dis because we always behave from for an effect, right? We yeah. always we mm -hmm. that's why we behave. That's why animals behave. In this case here, we're saying, OK, in one case, at the end of the spectrum, intrinsic is inseparable from the activity. It's a bundle. They're fused mm -hmm. together. At the right. other end, it's separable, can, yeah, so, and then there's everything in between. Right. It's hard, because we're always behaving for an effect, it's hard to imagine something that is purely intrinsic and has always been so. I think the idea of how separate or inseparable uh -huh. uh, is it from the activity? is an interesting and useful one. Yeah, yeah. And and for people, I mean, sometimes it's easier to talk about examples with people because we can kind of know a little more clearly sometimes yes. what's going on there, right? Yes. Um, but, you know, this idea of time proximity, um, for people, a nice way just for your own life to think about it um, is, you know, is, is bundling together extrinsic, reinforcers to make another activity feel more rewarding. And that's can be really useful. And so what I mean by that, um, all right, in, in my own life, I do a lot of work and thinking at a computer that's um, often interesting, but also often effortful. Um, not always as interesting, you know, in every <laughs> moment as I might love it to be, right? And, and but for me personally, I I really like working in coffee shops. Like I like getting out of my house on occasion because a lot of my work is very solitary and I actually do like being around people. I find that intrinsically rewarding, at least in some circumstances. Uh, so, and I like coffee and <laughs> I like, you know, a little bit of buzz in the background and so forth. And so I often, um, I go and work at coffee shops quite a lot. Um, and I bundle together that experience, you know, that, to me, extrinsic reinforcer of that, that is a, a relatively rewarding context yes. and offers certain types of, you know, rewards that really have absolutely nothing to do with whatever paper I'm trying to write. You know, coffee and paper writing are completely separable yes. activities, you know, right? There's nothing about writing a paper that produces coffee drinking. They're, they're separable activities, but I pair them together. I bundle them together often. And that can help me persist, particularly through some difficult, you know, difficult uh, work. Um, you can bundle together. There's been some work on, on people with this um, exercise and other types of extrinsic reinforcers. So doing things like watching movies, particularly completely hedonically rewarding and maybe not so intellectually, you know, stimulating content while exercising on a treadmill or while jogging yeah. or while, okay. you know, bundling well, those things together. That yeah, also you know. probably fits your first um, process, which is right. it's the only time you can watch this type of movie 
is when you're exercising. Yeah. yeah. Yes. If you make it the only time, even better, even better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If it's the only time. So if there's something like if you really love to watch some, I don't know, you know, Real Housewives of whatever or something right. like that, that you don't want to. You know, only when you're exercising. You, you let, yeah. You only watch it. Yeah. You while don't, you're doing you don't some want other... to admit to anybody that that's what you watch, but yeah, the yeah. other you... person had it on the screen, not me. Yeah, they just. But you watch it while doing you're something. Exercising. You... Yeah, you're exercising. You're exercising, and, and what I think is kind of important to remember about that is it not only okay, it will it is likely to increase your exercising behavior in the moment, but it also, as we've been talking about here, will make exercising more intrinsically rewarding over time. You will actually like to exercise more if you do that consistently or, or something like that. Exercise will, you know, will become more rewarding and you can then vary some more of those reinforcers or vary your routine. So, so putting together, you know, if, you're ta- if there is a target behavior that isn't especially rewarding intrinsically, bundling together other types of experiences into it can, can be very effective. I think for a lot of us in the clicker training community, we want our animals to enjoy what they're doing with us. You know, Mm -hmm. I I remember in the beginning when I first learned riding, I felt my horse was not enjoying it and I didn't, I wasn't interested Mm -hmm. myself, but my goal when I look at my, when I work with my horses, I always want to feel that they're really enjoying the activity. So to have, I guess, um, if we transpose this to today's discussion, more of an intrinsic motivation, even though I am clicking and treating them, but to feel that they're really enjoying the activity itself. Yeah. And I don't know, again, because I don't do this type of research, so maybe it's not as valid, but I, I think that idea of discretionary effort mm. is perhaps a little easier sometimes to see with the animals. So I think it's very hard, harder to say is any particular behavior, specific behavior, more intrinsically reinforcing, but is the overall engagement in the training, right? It's that animal's choosing to enter a training environment. You know, they're choosing to go, they're asking to go toward the arena or they're choosing to go toward the arena or they're asking to stay in the arena yeah. when you're trying to leave versus they're actively trying to avoid the arena. I feel like it's relatively fair to say that those are are probably pretty good indicators that that overall process of training has become enjoyable. The the act of being trained and being in that environment is is more enjoyable um, to the animal. Um, But again, as we talked about at the beginning, maybe not, because maybe that's the only way that animal can access those reinforcements of moving. So, you know, in a vacuum, it might be hard to say if that's the case. And what is it about the interaction that they enjoy? Right. You know, we like to say in the clicker training that it's not just that I'm giving my horse a treat that he enjoys eating tasty right you know it's a nice nice chocolate truffle or whatever it is of course not a chocolate truffle with a horse because that would not be healthy but we know what right we know what we mean but they also enjoy their social animal they enjoy the social interaction if we have taught right. puzzle solving well i think there mm-hmm. is uh enjoyment in solving puzzles being mm-hmm. successful 
you know, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, being successful, no, feeling you can solve puzzles. Feeling yes. you can solve the puzzle, yes. Yeah. Uh, that all of those things come into play. And if we started teasing everything apart, would we find that, that the reinforcer was bundled inside of each activity or was there, were, were there ways of separating them? You know, if you're having um, a horse working with you in the arena, there is that social interaction is part of the experience. How do we separate mm -hmm. that out? We, we don't. But if, if I have done things uh, with that horse to that horse where the horse doesn't really like me, that's going to be a very different experience from the horse that says, oh, you're a, you're a fun person. <laughs> I want to play yeah. with you. Yeah. So in general, we would say, I guess, especially us as constructional trainers, that we want to facilitate this trainer, this, this transfer. And actually, maybe my first question should be, why do we want to facilitate this transfer? So what's the advantage of having a subject go from being totally and extrinsically uh, motivated to more towards intrinsically motivated. Right. Why do, right. do we care as an animal trainer to go, or is it something that sometimes we should care about, sometimes it doesn't matter? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, there would be the, the piece that you were talking about, Dominique, which is often as trainers, and particularly this paradigm, we, we care about the experience the learner mm -hmm. is having. So there's that piece of it. And we're not, we're certainly not, again, extrinsic reward. I mean, we keep promoting it because a lot of right, people right. always start from the sure. position that, oh, he's only doing it for the carrot. And we say, yeah, sure. And that's fine. Right. You know, right. We're okay right. with that. <laughs> it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to your job because you get paid. You know, there's, right. Right. It's good. We all need to get paid. I mean, I think the, the practical advantages of intrinsic reinforcement is you're going to generally have more persistent and reliable, like whatever that behavior is, is going to generally persist long. And this is, again, not just talking about horses, but this could be people too, but that behavior would be more likely to persist uh, and would be more resistant to extinction um, and would be, you know, more, let's say, again, less, less dependent, less contingent on um, the presence or availability of the extrinsic reinforcer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I intrinsically love reading, I'm more likely to keep reading under a broader range of circumstances than if I only, the only thing that reading does for me is I get a dollar a for truffle. every book I read or something or a truffle. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the only reinforcer present in reading, then I'd be more likely to keep reading and under for, for more and under more circumstances if, if the actual act of reading is, is intrinsically reinforcing. That would be a practical reason. Mm -hmm. And so what about situations where we want to decrease the intrinsic motivation? You know, the dog is enjoying very much digging in my flower bed. <laughs> yeah. Now that I know there's as constructional trainers, we tend not to go there, but since we're talking about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, I just want to see what would be the view 
at a practical level, I don't think it's anything new for anyone listening to it as a trainer. If it's something an animal just does naturally on its own, if that is a, at least in some circumstances, safe and appropriate behavior, then that kind of tells you you can use it as a reinforcer for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as the owner of a beagle dog, Ooh, so the digging strong, you know, well, <laughs> and sniffing, right? Sniffing, oh, sniffing is incredibly, yeah, you know, intrinsically rewarding behavior. And so, you know, walking him on a leash, if they all ask for attention and I use sniffing as, um, okay, go sniff. That's a reinforcer. Mm-hmm. So you can use it as a reinforcer. I guess at a kind of general level, would you ever want to just make it not reinforcing? Right. If we look at the stereotypical behavior of that, of cribbing that Michaela's right. looked at, where it was, all right, let's, uh, we don't want the horse cribbing for various reasons, mm-hmm. many of them related to health. Uh, so let right. us set up an experimental environment in which cribbing, all the cribbing surfaces are covered. So you have a right. very fast extinction of the behavior because there's no opportunity to crib. And then you teach in that environment, you right. teach, we, uh, Michaela taught Blondie how to eat hay. Which always sounds so, you know, when you when yeah. you when you say it out loud, it sounds so silly in a way. You 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 teach her to eat hay because in the cribbing conditions, she would take a bite of of hay, crib, take a bite of hay, crib, take a bite of hay, crib. So she needed to learn how to eat hay, period. And a statement without cribbing. And didn't she also use additional extrinsic reinforcers to teach her to eat hay? She used the hay as a reinforcer. So initially, Blondie would look at a target and Michaela would hand her a little bit of hay. So she was looking away from the the waterer, which was a cribbing surface, and the feeder, which was a cribbing surface. And then she gradually increased, went from a tiny little wisp of hay to a handful of hay to more hay dropped on the ground until Blondie could just eat hay. So she was learning, right. she was learning right. how to eat hay, period. Not how to eat hay and crib, but how to eat hay. Eat hay, which is intrinsically reinforcing, yes. or should be should most be. of the time for right. most horses. So that's kind of interesting yeah. there. So, so she, but she had to learn, she, Blondie had to learn the skill of just eating hay. And then you had right. to fade out the experimental conditions so that the environment resembled more and more the everyday conditions in which Blondie would just be eating hay, where you could feed her her normal hay ration and she would eat just her hay. Yeah. I, mean, I think the more conventional approach to your question, Dominique, would be to say, well, if there's a behavior that the animal is finding intrinsically rewarding for whatever reason, they're engaging in quite freely on their own, there is some reward value, you know, coupled in that behavior would be to, well, let's make that less rewarding in some way, right? Would maybe be to put like a cribbing collar on the horse. So mm-hmm. now every time the horse tries to crib, it's getting, you know, poked with spikes or its throat is getting squeezed or something like that is happening, um, which maybe could make cribbing less rewarding. Usually doesn't work very no, well. No, it doesn't work very well. They learn to crib. Yeah, they crib through it. Right, but there, and there are all these, there, like the, the studies where they would see the animals in zoos that were self-injuring. And right. you think, oh, the, but this is self-reinforcing behavior. They're, they're injuring themselves. 
and what a you know, self-destructive behavior this is. Yeah. But then what you, when they did the analysis, what they discovered was that when the animals started to bite at themselves, the keepers would give them attention. And so what they were really trying to do was to get attention from the keeper. And when the attention was provided in other ways, through other means, then the self-mutilating behavior uh, dropped out. You know, this, this reminds me, when we did the, the podcast on the nature versus nurture debate, and, you know, the conclusion was that environment always has something to do with every behavior. Mm-hmm. That, you know, back to my question earlier, is there anything that is really purely intrinsic? Maybe from the time we're born until our last breath, there's always a little something that is mm-hmm. extrinsic because that's what we do. We want right. to behave to have an effect on our environment. So, and the key is to look at it as a spectrum. It can never probably be totally intrinsic only. And even if it's something that is, like if you think about you know, a newborn baby mammal drinking milk, right? It's mother's milk and needs to survive. That's going to be intrinsically rewarding, but only again, up to the point of satiation. So it's not equally intrinsically rewarding always under all circumstances, it, it changes. And it's what the question really becomes, how is this distinction that we, it's because it's a linguistic distinction, right? We are making a distinction between something that is intrinsically reinforcing versus something that's extrinsically reinforcing. How right. is that distinction that this linguistic, this category that we are categories right. that we're creating how is this useful to us in training is it useful to us at all in training i think what you what you described in terms of those four characteristics you know when you start to think about linkage okay well certainly yeah. in clicker training we learn a lot about how important right. linking the the behavior that we want with the reinforcer that we are uh, able to provide to our learner that's important. Time proximity. Time proximity. Right. Really important. And the uniqueness of it is definitely going to magnify the effect of that reinforcer. So, you know, all of these things are variables that we can use, manipulate, right. work to our advantage to make the activity something that the animal chooses to engage in with greater and greater frequency. Right. And which is what we want, that if I if I take my horse out into the arena and there are mats around and then my horse is going to say, ah, presence of human and human plus mat equals reinforcement when you're, you're looking at the contingencies. If there's no human around and but there is a mat, well, there's not likely to be reinforcers coming. So going to the mat isn't going to get me anything. But if there's a human plus a mat, ah, well then, then going it's ext- to the going to but the then mat, it's extrinsic because it's separable. Yeah, going to the mat is a really good thing to do because I'm going to get reinforced, and that's that's fine, that's great. But I don't have to worry about, you know, oh my horse doesn't go to the mat if I'm not around. So therefore, there must be some, there's something there's something um, lesser 
about my horse going to mats. No, and I think that's part of where, you know, with this kind of topic in general, like it's not a moral judgment, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's like really whatever is going, whatever works is fine. If my paycheck stopped arriving, I my, you know, showing up to my job behavior would extinguish. <laughs> like that's okay, right? Because I would, I, that is a valued and necessary extrinsic reinforcer in my life. And I would find other ways to obtain it. Um, if, you know, like I didn't keep, keep getting it. And, and it doesn't like, does that mean it's bad? We shouldn't hate people. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a passion for the work that you're doing. No, it doesn't mean you, you, yes. Again, it's not either or. And again, it, it's, it's also to that general question about the kind of what's right or wrong. Well, it's not like, if there's a person that you, you know, a relationship with another person, and this applies to that training relationship with horses. And if with that other person, you also engage in a, like, if your relationship with that other person is associated with, you also go and do things together that you really like, you're also going to like that person more. Yes. Like there's that transfer, yes. right? Of affect. Like it's I probably not a total coincidence that some of my best friends like horses, right? And some of my closest relationships are with people I've met through horses in one way or another. And we talk about horses and we do things about horses together. And that's in some ways extrinsic to those people as individuals, but it doesn't, I, I wouldn't personally feel like that cheapens, you know, no. the fact that I enjoy you know, I have this, you know, I enjoy things related to horses and then people who I do those things with together, I tend to seem to like those people better and maybe vice versa. And it's almost just to say, you know, being conscious about those processes, like a sort of releasing this one is good, one is bad, one is right, one is wrong, letting go of that idea and that they are binary, you know, one is in opposition to another, kind of Mm -hmm. releasing some of those ideas. And then just looking at it from saying, well, if you know that pairing an extrinsic reinforcer with an activity can help, you know, increase the value of that activity as well. Well, then how do you do that strategically? Right. How do you just make it work for you? And with the horses, it can be bringing food into the training, but it can also be at that meta level, making sure you're always presenting puzzles they're capable of solving. Yes. As the mother of a young child, hugely important piece of it. Right. Yeah. Literally, we do puzzles and we like gradiate the puzzles at different, you know, seeing him able now he can do puzzles and find them incredibly rewarding that a year ago, he would have just shut him down completely. And yes. so, you know, that having those solvable puzzles, well, that's also rewarding. I mean, everything, everything you put in, having a saddle that fits in is comfortable. That's going to, to be more rewarding, um, allowing a horse to engage in, you know, some horses really actually enjoy being out on trails and enjoy certain types of environments or seem to enjoy them anyway. And giving them those opportunities, giving them social, con- like, how do you put those things together? Moving on when you have a clean loop. Yeah. 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 And, and not, yeah. And, and then being careful to not create very rigid codified expectations mm-hmm. that you are not prepared to continue to, to consistently deliver on. Right. Yes. Right. If you're, if you're fine with consistently delivering on it, who cares? Exactly. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I'll give a horse a treat every time I get on its back. I don't mind personally. I mean, mm-hmm. 
that's okay with me. I can click and treat that every time. I don't have a problem with doing that. Somebody else might. And so they could set up their contingencies differently. Yeah, I think Um, actually wanting intrinsic motivation to be the only one is much more dangerous. Oh, completely. It's also unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's completely unrealistic because again, even the most fundamentally intrinsically rewarding behaviors that we have biologically are not rewarding at all times. Mm-hmm. So if you're a hundred percent only ever want to rely on that, you're going to have a very limited, um, you know, it's, you would have a very limited set of options. I think a lot of system are set up like that. I don't know if school, right. I mean, I think a lot of time people expect other people or, or expect our animals to do things for no external rewards, just because they should, or they should like it or whatever the reason. Or they should love us. They should do it because they love us. Yeah, but that would be, that's an extrinsic, but that's a false extrinsic. Right, right. Or do it because I'm the boss. Well, for one thing, there's a very strong extrinsic motivator bundled up in that statement which is or else you think about in your own life if you think about what are some of the things that you really really enjoy I mean you talked about that we enjoy riding horses well if we really teased right teased that what is it about riding that we so enjoy so there are certainly physical sensations that that being moved on the back of the horse You, you know what is it about riding that we and working at riding, you know, and learning more about riding and taking lessons so that we can ride better. What is it that we are right? What are all of those reinforcers that you can unpack? And if we started to unpack them, we would find a that it was a very complex mosaic of reinforcers. You know, I'll give you yeah. another example. I guess a lot of people have you seen Queen's Gambit? Mm-hmm. movie on chess it, movie yeah it's actually there's an audio recording of it which is okay. absolutely magnificent. the the narrator has a beautiful beautiful speaking voice if somebody wants a real real treat they should listen to the audio well i can tell you the movie is really good too. Okay. So, so i guess a lot of people just as i have started playing chess again after that movie mm. and i felt very very intrinsically motivated. I mean, really, you know, I registered on chess.com. I started taking many, many lessons. I loved it. And then you can play against the uh, the computer and they always let you win. And the performance of the computer increases as you are getting better. So you're always challenged, but you're always winning. I loved it. And then I started playing with my boyfriend. He's like really good. And he always, always beats me. And like after a hundred times being bitten, beaten, right. I said to him, you know, I, I don't feel this motivated anymore. You have to let me win sometimes right. because, you know, I enjoy playing against the computer much more than I enjoy playing against you. And I felt like I was going into some kind of extinction, you know, because I right. never get right. a reinforcer ever. And so right. my motivation to play at least with him has really decreased. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're actually discussing this right now because I don't want to I don't want him to let me win 
like this could be humiliating, you know, like you let someone win. That's not what I yeah. wanted him to do. I want him, I want to find ways where he can point to me areas where I could grow. Right. In a way that will keep me interested in the game and not feel like, you know, he's just giving me a chance as if I were a two-year-old. So I want my competency to increase. I want some reinforcer because if I'm beaten all the time, I'm going into an extinction. And really, I was really motivated. I mean, I've been on this chess.com for a year now, you know, but he's just so good because he played a lot. <laughs> and, and so that yeah. I, I'm really experiencing a difference in my internal motivation. So yeah. I don't know, just an example. So I guess writing, if you keep yeah. falling, you know, at some point, your intrinsic motivation may start to diminish a little bit. Well, and I think what you're saying, Dominique, points to the idea that, I mean, playing chess, what, what is reinforcing to you about it? Like, probably it's reasonable to say that just the physical act of like moving chess pieces on the board. I mean, it's not really an intrinsically motivating no. thing. If all I do is give you a chess board and you move pieces, right? that's not intrinsically motivating in the extent that if you are hungry and I give you food and you eat it, mm -hmm. you know, chewing and swallowing is intrinsically rewarding because you get this thing, the food is, is reinforcing. But moving chess pieces around a board in and of itself, like in the abstract is not really reinforcing, but what is reinforcing, learning this, you know, learning this skill, this sense of efficacy, mastery. Solving a problem, yeah, the strategy. Having a goal, learn chess, right? Yep. Even a very mm -hmm. arbitrary goal, learn to play chess and then perceiving you are progressing toward mm -hmm. that goal is incredibly reinforcing. And so you were experiencing all of that. And then <laughs> you played with somebody who kind of interrupted some of that perception right now. Well, I know I'm, I'm getting better. Yeah. I'm always getting better. I know compared right. to when I started a year ago, but I'm still getting beaten every time. <laughs> and so, yeah, my motivation is, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Yeah. So we, thank God we're having this discussion, <laughs> but you know, we've, we've been really talking about it because, and it's a weird feeling, you know, where you think, why do I care if I win or I lose? But you know what? I do a little bit. After 100 times, I didn't care for like 85 times because I always felt I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm getting better, I'm right. getting better. But all of a sudden, I realized that, you know what? I'd like to win here and there. <laughs> every, yeah. every once in a while, it feels good to win. Yeah. So there's circumstances that are, you know, more conducive to, to making that <laughs> rewarding, right? And the idea of, about riding, I mean, how many things can be bundled up in that? And even when I say in the abstract, well, I, I find riding intrinsically rewarding. Well, it's not totally true, right? That, that would suggest I find it rewarding to ride any horse at any time under any circumstances, which is far from the truth. That's right. Right. Very far from the That's truth. Right. <laughs> Probably the, the set of circumstances under which I find it inherently enjoyable to be riding is probably actually narrower than the set of circumstances where I find it potentially not so rewarding. So, you know, then you kind of go, what are those circumstances? What's really happening in those moments? Well, there's, to your point, Seth, there's some sense of progress or sense of, you know, having some kind of goal and progressing toward it, sense of mastery, some sense of relationship with the horse. There might be social rewards happening with the other people around. There might, you know, there's so many 
layers? Well, for me, how I would describe it is the schedule of reinforcement is affecting yeah. my intrinsic motivation. It's too right. thin. That time proximity too, right? It's too far. And the uniqueness yeah, also. That's so right. When you're describing Sarah with the writing, and it made me right. think about just flashback to being a, a very new rider and just being on a horse. Right. So it didn't so matter. Unique. And it really didn't matter what horse. I was yeah. just on a horse. There's the uniqueness. Right. I was mm. on a horse. And so it didn't matter what the horse was doing. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter, you know, whether we, it just, ah, I'm on a horse. Mm. So there's the uniqueness of it. Well, now it matters which horse I'm on. True. Although to that point of uniqueness, you know, as a primarily dressage rider, that feeling of balance, you know, movement and balance and when you get it right, yeah. that is a very unique feeling to, I, you know, maybe if I became a, I don't know, maybe if I became a really great dancer or something, but I still wouldn't get it because it wouldn't have that feeling of with another being. Right. That mm -hmm. feeling that you get from really when things are really working well with riding, it's very unique. You yeah. just, I don't know where else that is available. And I know when with Anya Baron, when she does her workshops and, and she has a photographer there who's very skilled mm. and in this digital age, her photographer is taking hundreds of pictures through the course of, of the week. And Anya will look at them and go, no, 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 maybe, no, no, no. Because, <laughs> you know, her sense of what she's looking for, that, that, that wonderful moment where it's just, yes, it still feels fleeting. And I'm sure the, the more skilled you are, the more you know, in a sense, the more fleeting those moments are where you say yes, because there's always some little thing that you're going, Ooh, not quite, not quite, not quite. Right. You've raised your contingency. Yes, absolutely. Up and up and up and up and up. It's your point, Alex. I mean, yeah, when I was younger, oh my gosh, I would just get on any horse. It didn't yeah. matter. It could throw me. I mean, I just look back and I think, how did I? Was that yes. fun? Yeah, it was actually. I don't, you know, but don't have that much. Some of that's, you know, just older and less interested in hitting the dirt. But you know more. <laughs> but even just being on a horse is maybe very safe, but just has a, you know, different level of training and understanding. I mean, I, I would do it on occasion, but it's not that compelling yeah. anymore. Yeah. Right. It it doesn't, it's it's like I won't rearrange my life to make that happen. That's right in the same way I will for other types of riding and training. And, you know, yeah, my, my criteria has, has been raised, but I'm still riding. So <laughs> it's persistent. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know that we've sorted anything or made no, sense of anything, know. but we've played around with this because it is an idea of this intrinsic and extrinsic. These words get used a lot. They get yeah. used sometimes in a way that, I think creates barriers right where there don't need to be barriers and I think your definition of is it bundled within or is it easily teased apart is an interesting one to think about in terms of how we are seeing the reinforcers that we are using right. and manipulating working with in our training right so good discussion thank you for listening 
I will end by saying a huge thank you to Sarah for joining us and for tackling a subject I've wanted to talk about for a very long time. Next time, we'll begin a new conversation. And in the meantime, train well and have fun with your horses. Thank you.